I'm Victoria Wilkinson and I'm an assistance dog trainer. I've been training assistance dogs for over 10 years. I now specialise in autism assistance dogs for children and I work with therapy dogs for children and dog assistive therapy. And I am on John Littlefair's podcast, Never Just a Dog. So Essex is, how far is that outside of London? It's probably about an hour on the train, 10 minutes on the train. She's not that far. I used to commute to London for work, like a lot of people would do that. What did you do in London? Guide dogs. Guide dogs? I, tra- I worked for Guide Dogs um, UK and I was a guide dog trainer and I basically was there for just over six years and that's where I learned I had a cadetship and apprenticeship. And did that. Why did you get into that? It's it's really random how I got into guide dogs because every time people say that, I'm like, oh my god, how how, how did you think of that? I was like, to be honest, I literally went backpacking around Australia, and I was just had such a great time for over a year. And I came back, and I suddenly was like, do you know what? I really want to do a job that feels like I'm actually making a difference, and. I then just started thinking, what did I always want to do? What did I always like when I was younger? You know, literally going back. And I was like, well, I always liked dogs. But I did initially have a job at a vet practice when I was 15 as like a kennel hand. And I was going to go into vet nursing. But after working there, I realized it just wasn't the right role for me. Like, I love animals, but I didn't really want to go into the care role. I felt like I actually want to be out practically moving, making a difference in the world, which I guess you are in some way, but it just didn't challenge me enough. So I'm typing in Google, dog jobs, working with dogs. And of course, everything comes up, the usual. And then for some reason, I came on this international assistance dog web page and it had all the different assistance dogs. And I just saw Guide Dogs UK. And I just was like, oh my God. That's you. I just was like, of course. And then you have all these memories of when you're a kid and you see the guide dog collection boxes in the supermarkets and you pop your little penny in. And I was like, it's like you've always known of it, but it's something you just don't connect or think of. So I actually just then started researching into different job positions at the organization. And there was two I was really interested in. And I am, but at at that time, I knew my focus was more in the guide dog trainer position. Um, it just ticked all the boxes. It's like active. You have to walk lots of hours a day. There's a lot of training, a lot of theory that you have to learn. You're working with different dogs. So you've got to be quite flexible, adaptable. And, you know, you get to work with Labradors every day. And at the same time, no those dogs are going to make a massive difference. So it just ticked all the boxes and then that was it. I was committed. I was on that website every day. Jobs, jobs, vacancies. And there was never anything up there. Um, and I didn't get it the first time when I applied. It was, a, it's, as you can imagine, a high competitive job to go for. And I managed to get through to like the second interview. There's two days of interviews to for the guide dog trainer position. 
practical group work how do you work with other people what's your sort of tutoring teaching coaching skills because it's not just about being able to work with dogs you're working with um, you know vulnerable adults volunteers you're training other staff so it's a really complex but I guess if you can fit those skill sets, then a really rewarding job. So I didn't get it the first time I missed out and I was so gutted, but I didn't give up because I just knew this is the job for me. And I called, you know, I called them up and I was like, look, what, you know, was I close? What went wrong? And they were like, you missed out by two points for somebody else. And I was like, (sighs) (laughs) like frustrated but also that made me go you know what that means I'm going for the right position so I took all their feedback and I went for it again and second time around got got the job and it's about two years um training before you qualify and you have to do lots of practical and theory examinations as well that's the long-winded way of how I got into guide dogs (laughs) What type of training do you go through to be a guide dog trainer? trainer? You don't actually need to have had any previous dog training experience, which surprised me. But actually, having gone through the process and then later on, I've been the tutors training up the new staff. I can see why you don't need it because... A lot of it is looking for that natural aptitude that you have with dogs and how you're willing to listen, take on advice, um, follow instruction, input, and be creative. And and obviously, you've got to have a bit of a natural rapport and understanding. But the training is quite extensive. You go through all the learning theory. So you're learning all about dog ethology, where the dogs come from, ancestry. And you're also then learning all about the the science of, for example, classical conditioning, operant condition, conditioning, how dogs learn, um, your reinforcement schedules, which, um, you know, it's not easy to start with because it's like a new language. But then after a few years, you're putting you're putting that into practice with your work. So you do all the theory side and then you get given a dog straight away you have two dogs that you're training from the beginning of they've just come in from puppy stage so they're about 14 months old and they're ready to learn how to be a guide dog and you have a tutor who's your supervisor support and they call it that it's like a puppet on a string to start with because they're supporting you 100% but you're in the driving seat so you have the dog and they're behind you pretty much telling you do this do that do that So you're learning as you go. Um, So you've done your theory and now you're just learning all the practical as you go. And it takes about 16 weeks each dog to go for the full training. And then as you get your next dogs coming in, the supervision has dropped a bit. So you get like 25% of your own time where you go off on your own and practice what you've learned. Or it means your tutor's dropping back a little bit of their support. So they're just not giving you everything at once just to start to get you to, you know, use your bit of your initiative and put it into practice. And then, I don't know, about a year and a half later, you've got 25% supervision and you're preparing for all the different assessments. So for guide dogs, there's it's quite involved. Um, and this is why you don't necessarily need to have prior experience because it's like no other dog training it's so specific 
it's all about um, helping mobility and orientation and some of the things you just you wouldn't be doing with pet dogs or any other dog because there's there's not really a need for it so for example we're having to teach dogs how to recognize obstacles in the environment that could be a hazard if you walk into them or collide now for a dog that's not natural for them to go oh I better walk around this obstacle I mean they may move themselves out the way so they don't but we're teaching them to expand their critical area so the easiest way to explain it is every every person has their own critical area so I always say when you're sitting on like a busy bus or a train and there's people really close to you you may be like some people may find that is that like personal space personal space yeah Personal space, and some people have a bigger personal space, and some have a smaller personal space. And what we're trying to do when we teach the dog is not just to consider their natural personal space, but to expand it. That incorporates the person that they're going to be supporting. That's fundamentally what we're teaching. Um, but you've then got to teach the dogs to recognize obstacles and what's the best and safest way to move around that's going to enable the person to follow that movement and guide them safely. So that's just one element of guide dog training. And there's 12 practical assessments. And that's one, which is to do with obstacle avoidance. And you have two, one introductory and then one later development. That's incredible. So what brought you to Australia? The sunshine. <laughs> no. Um, I actually was had a really lucky and grateful opportunity to go travelling around Australia um, back in, oh, this is going to make me feel old. When was that? <laughs> uh, 2007? No, 2006 is when I first came to Australia. My sister was going backpacking. She had finished university and I was actually studying fine art at university. I love art. It was something to do. But I just suddenly was like, you know what? I'm coming backpacking with you. And so I did. And I spent over a year traveling around Australia working and then um, slowly made my way back to the UK, visiting some other countries, which was incredible. But I just fell in love with Australia. There was something about, I don't know, the land. It just really spoke to me and it almost felt like I'd come home. I know that sounds so cheesy. Not at all. There's just something spiritual and magical. I don't know, something about it. And it really suits me. Like I love, I love nature. I love being outdoors. I love the ocean. I love the bush. And I found all of that here. Um, so when I did go back to the UK, I always felt like I left a piece of my heart here. And it took me 10 years later um, to, since then, I worked for Guide Dogs UK and just never kind of had, gave up on that dream. And then an opportunity presented itself. How did you get involved here? Was it through Guide Dogs, seeing Guide Dogs? I actually applied for a, guy, a job, sorry, at Guide Dogs New Zealand. I saw one advertised and I was just like, time for a change. And then sit, <laughs> during that application process, um, a organisation here reached out to say they were looking for guide dog trainers to come over and 
help grow the program here. And my managers thought of me. For some reason, they must have heard me talk about traveling or Australia. So they were like, I've got just the person. And so I got in contact and I interviewed and I spoke to them Good on the time difference. Had to do, I have a very late interviews at 11 o'clock at night over the phone or the good old Skype chat. They were obviously really keen because I've got a lot of experience and I'd... I trained other staff, so they were looking for somebody to come over that's really innovative and looking for change, and that, again, ticks all my boxes. I needed something to challenge me again. I, I really enjoyed my job at Guide Dogs UK, but I wanted a change, and I just feel like I wasn't making as much difference as I could, whereas this seemed to provide more opportunity there. What's your main gig you do now with regards to dogs? Is it seeing eye dogs, guide dogs, therapy dogs? So now I'm uh, working with therapy dogs and autism assistance dogs specifically. So uh, predominantly I'm working with dogs that will help support children in the community with the autism assistance dogs. And our therapy dogs are also to help support children and that's working more one-on-one with an occupational therapist in a clinical setting. How do they help in that setting? I'm really passionate about the therapy dog program. So it's like dog-assisted therapy. And so many children have to attend many different therapies. They could be working on speech therapy, occupational therapy, for example, And it's really beneficial that the kids go to these sessions, but it's just like some kids don't want to go to school or, you know, when you're having to do something that's extra work and it's challenging. So this therapy is there because it's going to be challenging because the kids need extra support in this this area for for some specific goals that they're working on. And they get to then attend a therapy session with a dog that's present. Now, not only is there an amazing dog in the room, which instantly is going to make you want to come to a therapy session because you get to hang out with a dog during that time. This dog has been trained to engage with certain tasks within the session that helps support the child with their goals. How do you actually train a dog to help and do that? It's actually really fun. (laughs) It's really kind of, I mean, it is challenging. But it's fun because I get to work with each dog, their temperament, their strengths, their character, and then shape tasks and behaviours that will that they're going to enjoy learning, but then can also transfer and also then work with a child. For example, something simple that they can do is a real basic one is a ball pass. So like a basketball size ball, for example. You can also use a small ball. You could use a big um, inflatable gym ball, depending on the child and their level of um, fine motor skills or what they're working on. And it could be a simple task of you roll the ball to the dog and the dog will roll it back to you with its nose. So just passing back and forth. That's one simple task. Where every dog in my life would grab the ball, drop it in the ocean and then go and do something different. And then watch as another dog comes along and steals their ball. Re-tricking the dog's yeah, brain. Yeah, it's, it's almost like that's that's fundamentally trick training, but it's not just teaching them fun tricks. It's getting them comfortable with kids laying on them, kids grooming them, kids holding their paws, 
kids reading books and the dogs help turn pages of the books, for example, to help motivate them to engage in stories. We do um, role play so the dogs engage in, I guess, if it's helping the kids with um, at home, getting dressed, cleaning their teeth, putting their socks, their shoes on. We can teach the dogs fun games where it's, right, we're going to put the dog in a shirt, you button it up, which helps them practice getting dressed on the dog or um, we play board games that have scenarios within the game that's set to challenge the kid with whatever goals they're working on which could be to do with um, emotional regulation for example some kids find that really challenging so it's the dog can assist by being part of the game the dog rolls the dice it's fun And they don't realise that they're in a therapy session. And I think that's fundamentally what makes it so rewarding. And the feedback that one, kids are going, oh, I can't wait to go to my therapy session to see their dog. And they've made so much progress and their confidence has grown. We even have children come who have high phobias of dogs. And the parents and carers just want to be able to walk out in their community environment and not have their child petrified because WA has a lot of dogs. So can you imagine every time that child sees a dog that they're screaming out of fear, even if they're in their car? So we have a very specific program with one of our amazing dogs who's a big chilled out teddy bear and the most patient, gentle boy ever. And they will do sessions where it could be three weeks where the dog is outside the room and the kids just getting comfortable with the dog being there and then gradually build it up so we've had children that have been screaming and completely petrified of dogs to then maybe six weeks later they're in the same room with that dog and they're touching the dog and they're then not only just doing that they're engaging in games with that dog and that is like a, a small goal I guess but actually amazing and it's just by having the right type of dogs, working with the right therapist, the right environment, and working with each child individually to meet their needs. And we're utilising these dogs also. They're all different, and they've all got different personalities, temperaments, and then we can select the right dog that's going to help bring out the best for that child. Tell me some of the funny stories with dogs and you training them. Well, <laughs> obviously, there has been a few. Especially I mean, if there's Labradors involved. I'm not, it's not all Labradors, but I'm quite... Definitely Labradors. And I work with children now as well, and they always say, don't work with dogs and children. I'm like, I do both. So it's it's fun and entertaining. But there's been a few stories. So when you're training the dogs, uh, especially as assistance dogs, you may need to act... Um, what's the word I want to say? You need to prepare the dogs for the role they're going to go to. So, you know, sometimes I may accidentally trip over or I'm at the edge of the road and I'm, you know, asking the dog to go forward and there's a car coming. But I've obviously been training the dog not to do that. And, you know, I've had lovely members of the public that are very helpful. And, you know, I do. I think I'm a I think it's just my excellent acting skills. (laughs) 
so I'll do like a pretend trip and everyone's like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm a professional trainer. <laughs> like That's hilarious. So that's, that's one of the things. Or you'll get people when I was training the guide dogs who want to help you safely cross the road, which is amazing. But the amount of times people have just taken my arm and started like dragging me across the road. And I'm like, I didn't even want to cross. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, and I can see, thank you. But, you know, they're trying to be helpful, but that also probably would startle or frighten somebody who has low vision. So the best thing they should do is is politely ask. You can tap on the shoulder to let them know you're there and say, would you like assistance? Try not to physically grab and take them but again it's all in it's all in good um what's the word people generally want to to help and then actually when I'm with my dogs I'm quite I'm concentrating so sometimes that can be difficult and a lot of people want to ask you questions you get a lot of people that want to go oh wow what are you doing what's the dog but obviously it's it's like if you're I always say if you're a doctor or a you're working at in a checkout or you're, I don't know, working in the bank. Whatever your job's doing, when you're doing something, you're working and you probably can't then just have somebody tapping you on the shoulder and asking you, oh, that's a nice dog. How old is that? And your brain's like, I'm sorry, I was in the middle of my job. You get that a lot. I'd say most of the time, it, it's beautiful. People just want to say, oh, that's an amazing job and want to know about it. And sometimes, you know, I have to just say, oh, hold on a moment because I need to finish what I'm doing with the dog before I can interact. Um, And most of the time people are lovely. Sometimes you can get the odd um, people that just go over and pat your dog and you're like, oh, sorry, can you not pat the dog? And sometimes people don't like being told that they can't, um, which is common because people are interested. So I often see people smiling or just standing and you almost have to put your little blinkers on not to pay attention. Otherwise, you'd feel really paranoid all day. You're the trainer of a very special dog here in Western Australia called Max. And we did an episode about Max with Bo and Paige Carter. Well, um, firstly, yeah. And I think actually... Uh, Paige would also say that I am Max's favourite person (laughs) because every time I have to go and visit and sort of do a follow-up and aftercare and check in and support them, make sure everything's okay, Max is still remembers me and he just gets so excited and Paige always has a bit of a joke oh you're still Max's favorite person even though he loves his family but every time I turn up he just goes so oh my god I haven't as if he hasn't seen me does he do Labrador wiggle bum he does do a wiggle bum but he also just can't stop staring at me it's quite intense we we obviously have a very very special connection oh yeah straight up (laughs) We've tried to do some promo stuff um, because Paige and Bo and the whole family are amazing and, you know, we're trying to do some stories that we can show, of, you know, the difference these dogs have made and I'm going along to help support and all we're trying to do is get Max to walk from A to B and he's like, can't, stop, must turn around, where's Victoria, must must look at Victoria and you get a good bond with all your dogs. Like you have to build a good relationship. But what I love is then you pass that on and you get to see 
how the dog then really loves their family and follows their family. There's a few dogs you turn up and see a year later and they're like, oh, yeah, hi, I remember you. Cool. I do like to put voices on some of my dogs just to help with their personality. Um, You know, some of them I think are like, one of them I nickname Eeyore. Okay, everything's all very slow. (laughs) You know, from Winnie the Pooh. Or they're just really excited. Yeah, I could do that. What do you want me to do? I can do this. Are we? Are we not? Are we not working yet? Why aren't we working? I'm really ready to work. You know, every it's just like their character. <laughs> or there's ones that aren't really listening, and you're like, all oh, that's going on in their head is do 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 do. And you're like, you have to have a bit of fun. Yeah. So what does it take to make an autism assistance dog? So there's a big there's a big community involved to make our assistance dogs so it all starts with people that are our sponsors and donors who help support fund a assistance dogs and then we have our amazing pool of volunteers that raise these puppies so they get them about six to eight weeks old and they raise them for a year and they live in their home and they work with them every day socializing them teaching basic home behaviors and getting them used to be confident in a multitude of environments, preparing them for their role. And then I would take them on when they come in for training. And I could have these dogs for six to eight months, formal training. And during that time, that's where I'm teaching them um, their role. And one of the main roles for our autism assistance dogs is to help access community safely. And that can be over different ways so it could just be that some of these children abscond and run off and our dogs are there to help support with the transitions that they're less likely to do that behavior but also that if they do the dogs can ground and 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 literally ground the child holds a handle so if the dog does um, keep that grounding position it prevents the child from running away and it gives that early intervention time I think the biggest impacts the autism assistance dogs have is the whole family. So yes, they're matched they're matched to one child in the family that really needs that dog to help for their access into the community. But a lot of the reasons has been that they're they're scared to go out because their child may not have a sense of danger or it's they struggle in really high sensory environments or going to new places or changing routine that it's easier for the families to just not go out. And that's really sad because that doesn't just affect that child not being able to access their community. That's the whole family. That could be other siblings that are missing out. So by providing a dog, you've now changed not just the life of that child, that they're able to have that independence and experience their community, but the whole family gets to do that together. It takes the stress, it takes the anxiety of, and it just... It just has such a positive impact. And I think that's what I really love about my job. It's not just this dog's doing these few... um, It's not just providing this service for this child where it can help with absconding and, you know, the dog's being taught to to do all this. I can teach a dog to do a multitude of tasks and tricks. But what I can't teach is what that dog does on its own as just being a dog. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I see has the biggest impact with 
dogs with children or in any any kind of therapeutic or supportive role, just the mere presence of that dog. The dog is, I mean, why do we have such a great relationship with dogs? The, they, they're very consistent. They're not judgmental. And some dogs in particular have this real connection and understanding and that empathy. And I've seen that with some of my dogs. I've had, I've had dogs live with me and, you know, I've gone through tough times you know, and I've had, and it surprises me how much my dogs can pick up off of that. So as a trainer, it's really important that you've got to be really neutral. You can't let your emotion come into when you're training because dogs are so in tune to that. It can have an impact, but there's times where, you know, you're caught off guard or you're having a bit of a bad day or you've just heard some really bad news. And I've had a dog live with me for six months and there were some days where I just couldn't get out of bed. I was going for a really low time. I'd had an injury, so I was physically, um, what's the word? Injured. Injured. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'd, I just had a, a couple of, I've had a loss. Um, so I was going for a bit of grief and I was very isolated because all my family's in the UK. So I was alone. And there's times like that where you struggle. So, but I had one of my dogs I was training living with me at the time because I was working from, you know, working from home. Um, But as I say, there was times where I just um, couldn't get out of bed. And having that dog there, I know it doesn't matter what I do with that day, that dog needs their breakfast they need to go out to the toilet and they need some kind of enrichment so this is how I can see how the dogs can help like other people that are struggling because they almost force you to come out of your little internal because you have to care for something else but by you doing that they're what they're giving back in return they're not doing anything, but you don't realize what they're doing. So this dog knew I was struggling and she just stayed on the bed, laid over me all day. That was it. Not even once tried to, you know, initiate, I want to go out for a walk or, you know, nothing. And and there'll be times where I was getting upset and they'd start nudging my arm and putting their head on my shoulder. And it was just... I was like, you're just like, I've not trained you to do that. That's you just being an amazing dog. And and I think when you get to work with dogs that have these natural aptitudes and then you can add in these extra training that you can provide that further assistance to someone in the community, that's what makes it amazing. How's the last year been for you? The last year has been probably one of the most challenging and um, times where I just wanted to give up but I didn't and I'm very glad I didn't and um, I think one of the things that keeps you going is the job I do because I get to work with amazing people both staff volunteers including the dogs I call them staff (laughs) And, and then working with the families, that to me is just 
you know, if I feel that I've made the, uh, just a tiny bit of impact on that person or that family's life, then that's, you know, I'll take that. And if I can, if I can offer that to somebody else, then, you know, that makes me feel pretty good. 